that has allowed me to become a more confident person in my life. Not because I have found a way to not have insecurities. It's just that I found a way to become friends with those insecurities or to accept the fact that everyone has insecurities and everyone has uncertainties. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. If it's true that it's not what you know, it's who you know, and oftentimes that is the case, then my next guest is doing exactly the right thing. Rob Lawless is on a mission to meet 10,000 people. And by the time that this podcast is released, Rob is already about one-third of the way there. But Rob's not just meeting people. This is not like a meet and greet backstage at a concert where it's a handshake and a picture. He actually sits down with everyone he meets for at least one hour to truly get to know them. And the more people he meets and gets to know, the better his relationship skills have become, as does his confidence. It's also fair to say that Rob has now become quite the networker often pairing like-minded people and facilitating introductions for mutual benefits. During our conversation, Rob shares some cool experiences he's had, tells some stories of amazing people he has met, and what his journey has done for him. For example, through his project, because that's what he calls this, Rob has been able to learn a lot of insights about life and himself to further the value he can bring to the world as a whole. But without going down the list of all the amazing things Rob has been able to accomplish with his project and all the ways Rob is learning to become a better and better networker, I think it's best that I let him tell his story for himself. So with that, I'm honored to now be one of Rob's 10,000 friends and I'll let him tell the rest of his story. Here's my conversation with Rob Lawless. Rob Lawless, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So what's it like sitting on this side of the table (laughs) of the interview? It's good. When I meet with people, it's usually always a two-way conversation, but I like sharing my story as well with people, and I'm often asking questions, so sometimes it is nice to just sit back and answer. Okay, well, you can do a lot of that today. Yeah. (laughs) As much as I'd like to go back and forth, I want to grill you today, because I think what you're doing is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Give a quick synopsis of what it is that you're doing for those that aren't familiar with you or aren't familiar with you yet. Sure. So my name is Rob Lawless, and I'm currently on a mission to spend one hour one-on-one with 10,000 different people to learn about their lives and see what comes of opening doors for no particular reason. So I grew up in the Philadelphia area in the suburbs, a town called Narstown, went to Penn State, studied finance there, minored in accounting and entrepreneurship. And then after school, I did consulting for Deloitte for a year and three months, and then jumped to a tech startup in Philly that had $24 million in funding. They were doing data analytics. And then in November of 2015, I decided to start this project because I'd always had a passion for entrepreneurship and meeting new people. And I thought for me to create my own path in life, that trying to meet 10,000 people for an hour at a time would be one of the coolest things I could do. So started this in November of 2015, 
eight months later, the tech startup that I worked for was bought out. So I decided to take this full time instead of looking for another job. And we'll get into it. But the gist of it is I've been doing it full time since July of 2016. I've currently met almost 3,200 people. I'll hit that number this week and have driven across the country six different times, have met people in over 20 cities in the U.S. And it started to pick up sort of as a business as well as turn from a passion project into a career where I've leveraged press from sources like The Kelly Clarkson Show. I did On Air with Ryan Seacrest, Daily Mail, Now This, CBS New York, ABC. And I now have a partnership with WeWork, the co-working space. So that currently is how I'm able to fund myself moving forward. And also a lot of it is the generosity of friends and family hosting me so that I haven't had rent for the past couple of years. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. That's one nice way of going around. Yeah. <laughs> so what have been some of the best experiences that have come as a result of your journey? When you say best, just off the top of my mind, I'm thinking most exciting. And I talk about this guy a lot, but I met this dude, Tyson McDowell, in San Diego. So I had gone there for the first time. My cousin reached out to him to see if he wanted to meet with me. He had started his own tech company after high school. And also, like as he was building his tech company, he started flying when he was like 12 years old. So he was starting to build his own airplane too. So when we met... He took me into the hangar. We got into this airplane that he had built himself over the course of 15 years. And our hour together, the first hour of knowing each other was us flying over the coast of San Diego. So that was just a neat experience. And the plane is a four-seater plane. It doesn't look like a real plane. So it was a combination of like trying to fight off a panic attack, <laughs> trying to have fun, and trying not to throw up from the G-forces. Um, that is like one of the more exciting things. I think one of the best things... We were talking, we went to Dunkin' Donuts, you knew the people there. The best thing for me is running into people after the fact. And now in Philly, if I'm in Philly, I'm going to see someone that I know from the project. If I'm in Los Angeles, it's likely that within a couple of weeks or so, I'll run into someone familiar. And it started to happen here in New York City as well. So I just like that. I like that I'm creating a world for myself that feels a lot like home. That's cool. So tell me about what some of the exchanges are like. We sit down, we spend an hour together um, or so, whatever that time frame might be. And what does that exchange typically look like, feel like that you're going through? Just like if you were to see your college buddy after a year or so, it's just a hello and a catching up. And there was a girl that I met in Los Angeles a year and a half ago. She and her friend were here visiting New York City, and so she wanted me to meet up with her friend. And I got to see both of them when she came. And so it's just a big hug to say hello, like, how's life? I like it because you can feel that you have that foundation with someone. Because people talk about that, too. They're like, you're meeting 10,000 people. Are you going to remember everyone? And the answer is, no, I'm not going to remember everyone. And I'm conscious of that. But there are 10,000 people that I could talk to for a minute and then be like, oh, yes, I remember this is where we met. This is what we talked about. Like, how is this part of your life? And so I'm getting one step closer familiarity-wise with 10,000 different people while along the way actually forming friendships and relationships. I just can't keep all 10,000 of them. <laughs> so what do you do? Are you taking notes? Are you keeping a database? Does everybody make the cut? What's your criteria? Sure, so and, and, and do you have, I guess, a, a formal process? 
So typically people will reach out to me on Instagram. So I keep track of the whole project on my Instagram, Rob's 10K Friends. So I take a picture with each person. I write a little blurb about what I learned from their story. And then I also write how we met. So typically people will reach out to me. It's a back and forth of figuring out if we're in the same city. And if so, like what time can we meet up with each other and where is most convenient? And then I send over an article beforehand that says, PSA, I'm not interviewing people. Because a lot of people think that I'm going to come to listen to them and to take notes and, and whatnot. But it really is just two people catching up like old friends that haven't met yet. And so it's just a very casual conversation. But I've learned and I think if people are interested in networking, like I know that's a, a focus of the podcast, I have started to, and I've heard it along the way, think more about the Ford style of conversation or the framework. Have you heard of that? Uh, explain it. I think I have. but So Ford, it's family, occupation, recreation, and dreams. Yeah. And prior to really thinking about that, my way of getting to know people was to think about their lives as a timeline. And I'm a very visual person. So when I talk with people, I'll map their lives out on the timeline. So even for you example, it's like, New York was your start place. You've been in Hoboken for the last 20 years, but there's a lot of things in between there. So I could ask questions to color in that space. But now I've realized that like, if you think about Ford, then you can color in that space because family is a lot of upbringing. Occupation involves education and what you're doing now. Recreation is the hobbies that you're doing outside of work. And then dreams is where do you want to go with your life and what do you want to do? So it just gives me like a good way to get to know people and then I take what I learned from them, try to compile it into that story. And then I share it with my audience, which now is around 35,000 people on Instagram. So it's nice to be able to relate to people and then communicate that with other people who could benefit from hearing their stories. That's fantastic. Did you always have this ability to connect with other people? Or is it, I mean, obviously it's always a work in progress, but tell me about that. I have. I think that me doing this project was me leaning into my strengths. So I've always been a people person. I went to a small high school of like 500 people total. And so I had like 170 people in my class. And one of the main reasons that I wanted to go to Penn State was because there were 40,000 students there. And I knew that there would always be someone new to know and also like friendships that I could make and kind of dive into. But yeah, I've always been that way. And actually, I first thought of the project in January of 2014, which was like eight months after I graduated college. But I was doing consulting for Deloitte at the time, and I didn't take action on it until September of 2015. And one of the reasons I took action is because I was keeping these small journal entries. And I only wrote three of them. But to go back, I would read the first one when I wrote the second. I'd read the second when I wrote the third. And when I went to write the third, in the second, I wrote my ability to meet people is what will take me to where I want to be. And it's funny because I didn't know, like, I don't know the where, like where I want to be. I hadn't had that defined and I still don't fully have that defined. But I think me going back and reading that was the light bulb moment to be like, all right, why don't you actually take action on this? And so then I started reaching out to people through email and through Instagram. And I was doing tech sales at the time. So for me, it wasn't awkward to reach out to a stranger and be like, hey, can I have some of your time? And it just kind of went from there. Interesting. Now you're at a point where everyone's coming to you, but what was the tipping point? And I guess prior, what got you to the tipping point? Tell me about your outreach. 
Sure. And also, I think a lot of people struggle with the outreach. So if you don't mind being somewhat prescriptive in how you did that, I think that people could learn from that. Yeah. The exact way that I did it for the project, at least. So in Philadelphia, there's a website called billypen.com. And they, at the time, were putting out a who's next list. So who's next in the culinary scene or who's next in the music scene or the political scene? And when I saw that, I was like, this is awesome. This is all the people that I want to talk to because I just want to have people from all different backgrounds. And I figured I would download that list, get those people's emails, reach out to them, and then introduce myself. And so in the beginning, I was just telling people, hey, my name is Rob. I have this idea for this project. I'd like to meet 10,000 people. Here's a little bit about me. I went to Penn State. I grew up in Narstown. Would you like to be one of the first 10 people of this project? And I would tell people, like, I don't have anything to offer you other than the fact that as my network grows, yours will grow with it. And people were pretty receptive. And I think for me, people were always receptive because there was no agenda to it. It wasn't like a, hey, let's meet. And then six months from now, I'm going to follow up and try to sell you something. Or it wasn't like a, hey, I'm going to try to get you to be part of this group or like this challenge or whatever. It was just, hey, let's meet. I share your story afterwards. We potentially see each other down the road. So it was email and Instagram at first. And then honestly, a lot of it took off through word of mouth. I would just start talking to the project to people or talking about the project to people. And they would say, oh, that's really cool. You know who you should meet? You should meet my friend so-and-so, which I'm sure has happened with you too. Uh, (laughs) Maybe once or twice. (laughs) Yeah. And people start to think for you and One of the things I've noticed from doing this project is if people see you passionately working towards a goal, they want to help you get to that goal. And so it took off that way. And then eventually people would take the photo that we took together. They'd post it to their Instagram page and they'd say, hey, I met this dude, Rob. He's doing this cool thing. He's meeting 10,000 people for an hour each. Like I was part of it today. And then I would start to see messages from their friends trickle in. And then I'd meet with their friends and then they would do it. It's all... Yeah, word of mouth has been the craziest thing. Like I used to live 10 minutes from Temple University in Philly and I would ride my bike and meet students there on campus. And there was one girl who just stood up in her sorority's chapter meeting, told them about it. And so for three weeks, I was just meeting like Temple sorority girls. (laughs) Sounds horrible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, awful experience. Yeah, it just spread in that way. And then eventually the first piece of press that I got, I met this woman, Tracy, and she said, you should connect with my friend, Josh. He writes for the Philadelphia Citizen which is a small publication in Philly. And I met with Josh and then he sent me over questions afterwards. He compiled it into an article. And at this point I'd met probably 65 people and he wrote the article and it got a lot of views for Philly, like a thousand likes on Facebook, we'll say as a measurement. But people took to it and then I had small PHL 17, which is a small TV station in Philly heard about me. And they did an interview with me that aired at like 5 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. But it's crazy because that ultimately led to the Kelly Clarkson thing, if you follow the trail, which is that the guy who did that interview was in the media space and a girl from CBS Philly had seen my project at that time and was following it. And then like three years later, reached out to me to do an interview with CBS Philly. I did the interview with them. And that just happened to be this last summer. Kelly Clarkson's show premiered for the first time on September 8th. And so this past summer, their producers were looking for stories that fit her good neighbor kind of theme. They came across mine and they reached out to me in July. So I don't know if that was long-winded, I know, but... That was good. Yeah. 
you know, one thing, and, and I want to finish on your thoughts, but one thing that, let me ask you this, you ever get any dates as a result of this? You talk about going into a sorority and meeting all these sorority girls. I'm sure along mm-hmm. the way there have had to be dates that have come to fruition as a result of all these meetings. Yeah. So actually last <laughs> night I went out with a girl from the project. <laughs> all right, there it is. Yeah. I always say that when it comes to dates, I've gone out with like a few girls after the fact, and I'm very passive about that because I do see it very much as like business. Like the Chinese wall. Yeah. If a girl were to reach out to me after the fact and be like, hey, like I'd like to go out with you sometime. There have been people who've done it who I haven't been interested in going out with on a date, and there have been people who I have. But I tell people like, I would never do the project and then turn around and message that girl afterwards and be like, hey, so that was cool. Let's go out. Because... I think that totally breaks down the authenticity yeah, of the it. integrity's gone. So yeah. You do that. But if there's like a mutual thing and like the girl that I went out with yesterday, it was just the thing where she at the end of the meeting was like, I'd really like to hang again sometime. And then, yeah, we just kind of made it happen. Yeah. Again, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. It's not. <laughs> Ancillary benefit of uh, doing what you're doing. So give me an example of an awkward situation of course 3,000 people you've got to have your share sure. of awkward situations you never know what you're going to walk into or mm-hmm. businesses or maybe someone's cantankerous I mean I guess the odds are probably a little less on that if they're agreeing to meet you but. sure there's no like one that sticks out in my mind there I have met with people who are painfully shy and I think the awkwardness comes from like they are very aware of the fact that they're painfully shy and so I'm very comfortable going in and meeting new people but sometimes I get nervous when other people are nervous. Because you have high empathy. It's, yeah, like I pick up on it and then I have to find myself. Maybe you feel the same thing. Like I have to find myself kind of settling in just to like create that calm energy that they can then build off of. But those times are somewhat awkward because there's been a lot of meetings. It definitely skews more extroverted people, but there have been a lot of meetings where I find myself 10 minutes into the meeting thinking, okay, if I'm not asking questions, we're not going to be talking at all because I'm asking this person a question, they're giving me a one-word answer, and then it drops and they wait for the next thing. And that's another reason why I send that article because I'm like, I don't want you to expect that I'm going to be sitting here asking you questions the whole time. But the awkward ones kind of come from those situations. I'm trying to think. There was not so much awkward, but just a unique situation. I met a guy he runs a brewery in the King of Prussia area in Philly called Workhorse Brewery. His name is Dan. And he, when we met, he was like, hey, I'm starting this brewery in Philadelphia. And he was like, it doesn't exist yet, but I'm going to get us a couple of beers and you can come see like what the place is going to be. So I went and it's just a fold out table and a warehouse and there's trenches and the floors and stuff. And I was like, this dude could shoot me right now, dump me in one of these <laughs> trenches cover it up and no one would ever know. And I was like, I don't know if I feel completely safe here. But he was a nice dude and we talked about the business and he told me what he wanted to do with it. And I learned about his story and then he actually turned it into a brewery. And then my sister and her husband had their rehearsal dinner there before their wedding. How about that going full circle? Yeah, and so I like those types of stories that come from the project too. Sometimes these people find their way into my lives or like my family or I find my way back into their lives in cool ways like that. And I like that I have that personal connection with brands, especially in the Philly area. So was that serendipity or did you, you had a relationship now having had this conversation with him and then you 
introduced it to your family? More so having the relationship. Yeah. Like my family would not have known about that brewery if it weren't for he and I meeting. Correct. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So what about, are there common themes that you're finding amongst people? Like, are you seeing consistencies about the conversations that you're having or things that people want to talk about? The biggest thing, and I say this all the time, is no one knows what they're doing with their lives. Everyone is just doing the best they can with the resources that they have. And it doesn't matter how old the person I'm sitting across from is, how successful they are. If I say that to them, it resonates with them. And that has allowed me to become a more confident person in my life. Not because I have found a way to not have insecurities. It's just that I've found a way to become friends with those insecurities or to accept the fact that everyone has insecurities and everyone has uncertainties. Like for me doing this project, I've had to, I'm 29 years old and I've had to move back in with my parents several times over the past couple of years. One, because I, the longest I've been in Philly in the last couple of years has been like five months of a time period, mm -hmm. but two, because I couldn't afford to live out on my own. And so I think like being a 29 year old, is like trying to date and whatnot. And you're like, oh, well, I live with my parents and <laughs> I don't even have enough money to take myself out. That can create some insecurities. But me doing this project, I'm like, everyone else is still figuring their life out. And I'm confident that I'm investing my time in the best way to figure my life out. Like the path that I am on is one that I see is going to benefit me greatly down the road. And so I'm fine to like be friends with those insecurities now and at the same time feel like I'm working towards a better life. That's an excellent answer. Okay. You've, had, you've spent a considerable amount of time meeting a considerable amount of people. What kind of clarity for your own, I guess, career life have you come to discover? And I know it's a never-ending journey. Sure. And when you stop the journey, that's kind of when it, you get, life gets boring. But mm -hmm. how far into clarity are you at this juncture? I feel like I've gained a ton of gratitude. Hopefully that is like along the lines of what you're looking for. But the amount of life paths that exist is just more than I ever could have imagined. When you sit and you start to talk to people, like I met a girl in Los Angeles. She was from Louisiana when she was 12 years old. So she was born as a guy. When she was 12 years old, she told her family that she wanted to become a girl. She got in like a fight with her family. Her dad ended up stabbing her. She was taken from her home and put into foster care and was like, no, I'm not doing that. So she hopped on a bus out to San Diego. At what age? She was 14, I think, yeah. when she left to go to San Diego. Was living out of an abandoned bank for like a couple of years and then living out of hotels. And then she got pink eye and had to go back to Louisiana because she couldn't have health coverage. She needed to be back under her parents. And so she went back. And as she was getting older, she started to transition from male to female and then got reached out to by an executive in one of the largest transgender porn networks. And they reached out to her. She got into that industry, was in it for 12 years with like a three-year break, ended up getting HIV from someone outside of the industry, was also robbed in her own home by someone she knew. She tried to get out. They locked her in the bathroom. She tried to get out. They stabbed her. She had the scar on her back. And now she, when we met, she was telling me that she was trying to get into art because she had built this life around the adult entertainment industry and she couldn't do it because she had HIV. And she was like, I'll probably be back out on the streets again, but I've been there before and so I'm not scared of it. And I just think about this life that this woman has led and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. 
to a loving family with two parents who are still together, two older siblings who also went to Penn State, led the way for me to go to Penn State. I got my education. I got my corporate job. And so I think about my life compared to other people's lives and like the privileges that we're afforded based on where we are born or what situation we're born into. I've become very conscious of them or even just the fact that I still have parents that are alive or siblings that are alive because I've met a girl who her brother told her to reach out to me and then he passed away later that summer running in a marathon. And so to sit with her, I can't not think of how important my brother and my sister are to my life. And when I meet with people, like I met two girls from Drexel University who are both only children, both of their parents had passed away. And they're in college and have no immediate family left. And so for me, I think about those things a lot. And it's cool because I have never felt like poor in this project because I've always kind of, I guess, defined my wealth by those other things. I've never felt like inferior to someone that I'm sitting across from if they have a high paying job and I don't because I have all these other things. And I think at the core of it, that's what's important in life. And I think a lot of people figure that stuff out when they have like a sickness in the family or when they get to their end of their life. And I think that I've just developed it at a younger age because of my exposure to so many different people. Yeah. So just actually talking about this with the gentleman who was here yesterday. At the end of, uh, it's not hospice, I forget what it's called, but it's essentially hospice. Sure. That people are in their dying, uh, their deathbeds, and they're, they're in the top three things that people most regret or is of most interest or concern to them is, and I forgot the order, but two of the three things are uh, the relationships you know, that they've had, and the other is their legacy. So you're knocking two of these <laughs> by building some Doing amazing, the right thing. Right. yeah. yeah so. so so keep it up. <laughs> I mean, that's powerful. Some of those things that you just shared is you know. So then, what do you do? So you meet with these people. Is there after you have these conversations, are you leveraging some of the other relationships that you're meeting along the way and saying, oh well, hey, here's your story. I know somebody else who runs an HIV foundation or something mm. that's come across. Like, do, are you making any kind of connections and working in some type of super connector capacity? I do when I can. And there have been situations where, like, there's a student that I met, I think he was a Temple University student, but he was interested in getting into sports broadcasting when we met. And at the time, I had just met a Philly cop who was running his own sports podcast in Philly. And so I connected the two of them. And now this kid has his own, like, sports broadcasting show years later. And he texts me from time to time, and he's like, hey, man, I just want to let you know that meeting you through your project and being able to connect with those people set me down this path. So I wouldn't be here if we didn't have that conversation. And that's one of my favorite things to do through the project too. Like I'm 100% a connector by the definition of it. I get a lot of fulfillment in being able to create value for other people just by pairing them off together. And it's actually something that I want to do in a larger capacity going forward. So in the more near term, I have a lot of people who reach out from the project after the words and they're like, hey, it was great to meet. Like, I'd love to get together sometime. And me, I've had to sit down and think about what is my free time because there's the quality time with my friends and family. There's the me time that I need to kind of recharge the batteries and the time that I need to commit to the gym and whatnot. And so I've learned that time is very scarce. And my solution to that is to try to do one volunteer activity one day out of every month and have that as an open call for the people that I've met to come back, meet each other and also hang with me again and have the opportunity to do some good. So on Saturday, me and a couple of other people from my project volunteered at the um, 
St. Mary's, the Hoboken thrift store mm-hmm. on Fifth and Garden, yep, I think. Yep. I just dropped stuff off there like two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, my go-to. The donations were coming yeah. in It's so amazing fast. how much stuff they get, yeah. right? <laughs> but I want to do that. And then further along the way, one of my longer-term goals is to have a freshman seminar at a college or university where I just want the class to be students pairing off, having one-on-one conversations, learning from each other's backgrounds as opposed to a textbook or a PowerPoint, because I think you get the skill of active listening, the skill of being able to tell your story in a concise, chronological way. You expand your perspective of like learning if someone grew up in a different area than you, or like if someone grew up in a different family situation than you. And all the while, you're giving people space to create connections that could lead to business partnerships, relationships, friendships. And especially if you do that at the beginning of someone's college experience and you give them four years to foster that, I think there's a ton of value in that. So that's a little bit outside of the project, but I see myself being a connector in that way because I just want to bring a bunch of people together and have them create relationships. How important do you, I mean, I mean, clearly it's important to you, but this ability to communicate is essentially what you're talking about Mm -hmm. on a lot of levels. How important do you think that is these days versus, let's say, even say 10 years ago? Sure. I don't know. I think there's a lot more conversation about the lack of in-person conversation now due to technology. I don't know if it is or isn't that way. It's, it's, it's hard to judge. And because now it's easy for people to say too, like, oh, that new generation, they don't know how to talk to anyone anymore. They're always on their phones. But I have met people from that generation who are great conversationalists. And I think it's easy for us to overlay these things on people. I don't know. I think it's just always important. And one of the things that I liked, I had met this dude in Orlando for my project and he was just like a deep thinker and I am as well. And he was talking about how the playing field of IQ has been leveled thanks to the iPhone. Like if we don't know the answer to something, we just look it up on our phone. So it doesn't really matter if you know more than me because I have this device that's going to tell me everything. It's like, so the next important thing is emotional intelligence. And that's going to be the thing that people need and that people value. And the way you have that is by being able to converse with people, being able to empathize with them and to relate to them and understand their stories. And so I think that that is becoming a more important thing. Do you know the story of Henry Ford when he sued? I forgot who it was that he sued over a libel. I think it was libel because they said he was so stupid. No. So you mentioned Ford before it reminded me. And now you're talking about this. So. I'm going to bastardize exactly the story, but I think it was for libel. He was being accused of being stupid, like having a low IQ. So he sues, I think it's a newspaper, whomever it is, and he's getting grilled for like two days. They're asking him, hey, what's the capital of New York? Mm -hmm. And just asking him like a lot, like they're just showing how he just doesn't know. He didn't have Google at the time. And there are days and days. And then finally, he loses his cool. And he slams down the the phone and and he essentially says, you know what? I don't know the capital of New York. I don't know how this is made, but you know what I do? I got a phone here. I've got a phone here and I've got a phone here and I've got people that I have access to that can give me the answers to all that information that you don't have. So who here has got the higher IQ? You get the genesis. Yeah. So you've, um, do you have any like go-to questions? Like when you're meeting with people that like, so for example, you talked about people giving yes and no answers. So Mm -hmm. I always encourage people to try to ask as many open-ended questions as possible. So it doesn't give them the option to say yes or no. 
I usually open with, are you from here originally? Because it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the timeline. When I ask that question, it gives me a starting point for their timeline. Mm. And then I get to ask, how did you make your way? Because we were talking about how you made your way to Hoboken. It was the World Trade Center opportunity. But I'm always asking people like, what was your family like? Did you have siblings? Are you close with them? Did you go to college after high school? If so, what did you study and why? What did you want to do with your life back when you were in college? Like, how did reality match up to expectation? In terms of hobbies, I like asking people, what are routine things that you like to do outside of work? I like phrasing it that way because I think when yeah, you I've ask... Yeah, I've not heard that that way, yeah. It's just when you ask hobby, I think people struggle with it. And they fumble and they think too much and then they block their own mind. And if you're just like, what's a routine thing that you do? What do you do twice a week? Or what do you do three times a week? Then people can be like, oh, well, I read 20 pages a day. Or I go to the gym. Or I try to go on a walk every day. And then I'm trying to think. It's really just thinking about that framework. And I think about that more and more now. The Ford laid over the timeline of someone's life. Because if you're just thinking about that in your mind, you just have to think about what you don't know about that person yet. I don't know what your dreams are yet. I know that you have the podcast now and you've had it for two years, but I don't know. And I still don't know about your occupation and what exactly you were doing for work or where you went to school or anything like that or what your family is like. And so those are all things that I would be thinking about in my mind and then trying to color in with the questions that would answer them. What would you teach people when you're going to have this course or whatever that's going to evolve into? What would be the fundamentals of what you would teach? Probably that same framework. The forward framework. Yes, laid over like the, the timeline. But I would have people do exactly what I'm doing. I would have them have a conversation with each other without being able to take notes. And then I would have them write about each other afterwards. That's how I became a great active listener because it's like, have you ever taken a test and you haven't studied the material or, or you try, oh, trying everyone <laughs> or you're reading a, like you have an essay to write on a book that you didn't read and you're just scrambling with one chapter of the book that you did read and trying to piece it together into something. I don't like that feeling. And so I'm trying to pay attention to people as much as I can, because all I have to work with to write their story is what I remember from it. So when I talk to people, I'm very intently listening to what they're saying, and I'm very present in those conversations. And I think it's just because I know like, I'm forced to write something afterwards. So that piece of the puzzle forced me to become a really good active listener. And that's something that I think other people need to uh, develop as well. And I've, I have just gotten back into the dating game. And on the dates that I've been on with girls like oh you're really easy to open up to like you ask great questions and it's just because I'm curious genuinely curious about what their lives are and I kind of have experience with just uncovering that from people so what are your thoughts I something that I teach people a lot of times people don't know how to connect they really don't know how to genuinely like connect like you you are a curious person you care mm. So what I teach people is to find something that they like in another person and go from there. So if you find something that you like, like I like the fact that you're curious about people. So I'm, you're going to sense that 
it's going to be pretty apparent that that's authentic, that I really like that. So I've found something that, about you that I really like. So sure. I want to hear about that. And to be like is to be liked. Sure. And then it kind of, kind of spawns from there. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts around that? It's good. I don't know if I fully understand the question, but I think what to truly... It's a style. So you're going in, a lot of times you go into a conversation with no, maybe necessarily an agenda. Right. And then what I was saying is that some people, they're not sure how to connect with other people. Right. So I was giving one example sure, way sure. through like something that I do yeah. to connect with people, almost getting back to the introverts, the open-ended conversations. Mm. I would say when it comes to that, I think vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And I have found that with some of the conversations that I have with people who it seems like it's one word answers, I will purposely just turn the conversation on myself and start to talk about myself and open up with my story a bit. Because I think if you lead the way, like you open up with your story a bit, it gives that other person permission to open up with theirs. And it's kind of like, you can take each other as deep as you want want to go. And I think real connections kind of form from the gut. And I feel like you can feel that with someone where you're connecting on that level. And I think a lot of that comes from when you're talking about the deeper parts of your life. And not just like, there are people who I have great chemistry with and have great conversations that are more surface level. We could be talking about the Eagles all hour. But I do feel it when I get to that level with people. And I think that's where like a lot of trust and a lot of rapport comes in. So yeah, that would be my answer is that vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And it's just a matter of being conscious of yourself and not being afraid to kind of take that lead to lead someone else down that path. Yeah. Tell me about some people that you've met with that you were just like, wow, these people are amazing. And, and maybe it's not necessarily someone like that's the CEO, the surprises, the dark horses that you were just going in. It was just like, you know, part of your day, because I'm sure at some point you're meeting four people a day to some point it's got to be a quasi job. So you probably go in and, okay, here's my fourth person of the day. I got to have this conversation. Sure. And, and maybe your energy level or level of enthusiasm wasn't as high as it was for conversation one. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting this. Right. You have any of those? Yeah. It's, I think it's the ones that stick out to me are kind of the tragic ones. And I feel like it's because it's such a, a stark contrast from what I know. But there was a guy that I met in Cleveland who I tend to talk about who it just struck me because we were about the same age. And like four months prior to us meeting, he had been in jail. He had a DWI, I think. He had like was drinking, driving, crashed his car into a fire hydrant, fled the scene, had to go back the next day, was taken into custody. But if you reverse and you look at the full picture of his life, he was born to a single mother. His parents were never married. His mom had to work like three different jobs. He used to sleep on the factory floors when she was at work. This was in like uh, Ohio area. And he then went off to college, but he had to come home because his mom had gotten sick. And she started to get better, but then she had an, an instance, she had allergies where she like was choking on her own mucus and she ended up passing out, wasn't getting oxygen to the brain, was resuscitated. But by the time they did that, her brain was already brain dead. So she was on life support. He was her only family member. And so he had to be the one to pull the plug on her and still gets me to think about it. But then you think about that and you're like, okay, well, all that other stuff makes sense now because I honestly think about his story and I'm like, I am 
I'm not sure that I would end up in any other situation than the one that he did. Like, it's so difficult to go through those times. And I'm always inspired by people like that who are resilient enough to come back from that or to build a life when they've been through those types of hardships. So they always punch me in the gut, those types of stories. That can put you into perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, really, yeah. that really does. Yeah. And I, I, uh, Man, I read the the book, My Father's Father, on John McCain, when he was in solitary, or not solitary, he was a prisoner of war. Mm. I recently listened to the podcast about Bo, Bo Brimwall, I think was his name. He was the guy. Oh, on, the one who went AWOL? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like what happened, you know, five years of being held in Taliban for sure. five years. I mean, it just, regardless of whatever your opinion is on his situation, like what he went through sure. in the hell is crazy. I know uh, we got to be cognizant of time. I have a couple questions before yeah. I let you go on to your next meeting of the day. Sure. So does this not count actually? Or does, uh, you know, being interviewed count? It counts. As, all right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just making sure. I don't know how the tally, you know, works. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the guy? Oh, I forgot his name. He did the 10,000 nose or Jia Jang. Oh, you ever see the he, TED Talk where he was looking to be rejected? Yes. So are you familiar with that? I know what you're talking about. I yeah. don't think I've ever... Yeah. A hundred days of rejection? Yes. Yeah. The, how does that... Like what he went through... Like did you have to deal with any kind of rejection in this journey? Sometimes. It's always been largely positive response. But there were people early on who were like, no, I don't want to do this. And me... Having an ego at that time would be like, all right, well, then I'll just wait until you want to message me and I'll ask you what's changed because I'll have a bigger platform. Uh, <laughs> Has that happened? Yes. Yeah. How great is that? Yeah, it's nice. But I also am like, all right, Rob, you need to check yourself because now being in a situation where people have podcasts and they just want to launch it and it's their first episode, I have been like, okay, I want to help you. But I've done a lot of podcasts where it's like you do the first episode with people and then they're not actually passionate about it and it doesn't get off the ground. And you're like, why did I invest the time into that? And so I'm like, I have to look at myself and be like, to other people, I'm only as valuable as I am right now. People will only see me to be as far as I've gotten at that current moment. And I think that's for partnerships too. I've always thought that. Like I've always wanted to reach out to brands and I'm I love working with WeWork and I'm happy that they took a chance on me. And I think about it like there's a a cafe in Scotland or whatever. And it's famous because J.K. Rowling wrote the Harry Potter series. There now it's like a tourist attraction. And so I've always thought of my project. It's hard to think about what it could become someday. I'm like, it could be that 35,000 people know about it 10 years from now when I'm done. Or the whole world could know about it. I just have no idea. But when it's come to partnerships, I've always thought, that it would be nice for companies to partner with me now. And then as I grow, we can be like, see, we've had this authentic relationship as opposed to them being like, oh, you have this huge following and now you've been on this show. Like now we'll agree to do work with you. Now you're an influencer. Right. But at the same time, like it's business, it's business. So I forget what the original question was. I kind of went off the rails there. Yeah, that was fine. Don't worry. It's even better. I even like that. I don't even yeah. want to address the original question. How sure. about that? Yeah. So, well, I'll, I'll let me ask you one question. And then there, I have, uh, I got like a list of these questions that sure. I randomly, I never ask like written questions. So, but I keep a few just to end the show with. Well, let me ask you this actually. Are there any, so for those that are listening, what do you foresee as potential shows of interest to be interviewed on or potential business partners? Are there any out there that you have your eyes on or that you think would make sense? for now what you've been doing and you do have a decent amount of followers, like what value could you bring that, you know, we got to get you paid, right? You got to, 
We want to fund this thing. It's time you can start taking some of these women out in your own private jet. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I am very big on authenticity. So I think about brands that I use in my life already. Because I think now we live in this world where influencers, there's not so much authenticity where people are like, oh, it's a paycheck. Sure, I'll promote it. And so for me, I don't want to be one of those people. So Fossil is the watch brand that I've used since eighth grade. And it's how I stay on time. And so I think I have a good storyline with them. I've driven a Ford Focus across the country six times. I think I have a good storyline with them. Like, Ford? You've, Ford's yeah, come up three times. So I've posted every photo using the Verizon network. I've taken every photo with an iPhone. And so there's ways there. Like I think about those billboards that you see that are like shot on iPhone. And I feel like Apple has a really great opportunity to be like, well, what's created with iPhone? There's so much more than just the photos, like all of these relationships and it's shifting people's lives in the world. So iPhone. Can I make a suggestion? Yeah. I think some kind of coffee company should embrace you because I'm assuming a significant amount of your conversations. That's true too. Are over a cup of coffee. Like I mentioned, La Colombe, I've met hundreds of people in their coffee shops. And just think about that. If they're, you're the guy at that show, you know, at that, at that store. But then business-wise, so I actually see that becoming more of a supplemental thing in my life. And I'd like to start getting into speaking about the project. So I think that I have a lot of lessons to share, especially like kind of breaking down more of that framework and actually teaching it to people, allowing them to kind of practice it for themselves and guiding them. I think it's something that would be really valuable. So I plan to start speaking at colleges or universities, sharing the lessons that I've learned or like speaking to like realtors or conferences like that, where it's valuable for someone to get to know someone in a quick amount of time and to do that in the best way possible. And I've built up those skills through my project. So I see myself having a speaking career as the main thing and then supplemented by the partnerships. That's fantastic. Let me ask you one random question before I let you go. Sure. Give me a number between 17 and 59. 34. 34. Okay. Any reason uh, that that number? In my mind, it went 33, and it went 34, and then it went 23. And I was like, "Ah, no, go back to 34. (laughs) All right, cool. Let's go. Let's roll with 34. What's the best thing that's happened to you this year? As in 2020 or the last count? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Or maybe we go one 300 in the past 365. A lot of leeway. I think the Kelly Clarkson thing was a very special moment. The whole audience was made up of people that I had met through my project. And so just that whole experience of being flown out to LA, you're picked up by like the black car in the morning. They take you into the studio. You go into your dressing room. My dressing room was next to Steve Carell. I didn't realize he was actually in there at the time. And then you just sit in there and they have like the little vanity with the fruit on it. And for me... That was a very nerve-wracking experience because it was a national TV show and I was being interviewed by celebrities. But walking out and seeing almost 100 people who I had already had conversations with and felt comfortable with, that was like a very special day in my life. And I think that I'll kind of remember how I felt that day for a long time. That's a pretty good answer. (laughs) I'd say that's quite a day. Yeah. All right. Anything that we did not cover that we should have covered that people need to know about you or your mission or just in general? No, other than the fact that if they want to be like, if they hear this and they want to be part of the project, they can shoot me a message on Instagram 
my handle is at Rob's 10K Friends, and that's where I document everything. That's where I communicate with people. So if they're interested or if they have some type of speaking opportunity that they think I would be a fit for, or they have a bank of money that they're looking to throw at someone. Uh, You're there for them? Yeah, just <laughs> let me know. Shoot yeah. me a message. Good looking out. Yeah. Rob, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.